it takes a while to get confident in who you are and how you operate. And, and, and only with that confidence can you actually write that email. Can you actually have that conversation? Nate, last week we talked about how this is a very special time of year. And this is a time of year a lot of new families come into our schools. So it feels odd that in today's episode, we're going to talk about how to get rid of some people out of your school. (laughs) So welcome back to the podcast. I'm Daniel. This is Nate. Every week, we record these episodes to help you run a mission-driven school that is fun to own and operate. And today, we're responding actually to a Facebook message that was sent to me by someone who listens to the podcast. Hmm. And the message said, "Um, I'm dealing with something right now. It's fresh in my mind. I wonder if you could speak about letting students and or parents or letting go of students and or parents that aren't fitting in the culture of your music studio. Maybe they were at one point in time, but they're not anymore. Uh, And then they wrote another comment to me later and said, maybe an easy way of putting this is how to say goodbye to toxic clients. Mm. So you and I had an interesting chat about this and it brought uh, up several points. It brought up several ideas. So I just want to lay those out here at the beginning of the episode and then let's just jump into it. One, the really interesting thing that you said to me, Nate, or one of the many interesting things that you said to me was just that this was more of a problem in the past with Brooklyn Music Factory. And it's and it was less of a problem once you really defined who your ideal customer was. Mm-hmm. And then you said that there were two primary, um, two primary uh, things that you had to deal with. How do you deal with people who are trying to come in that aren't a good fit? And how do you deal with people who are inside the school that are no longer a good fit? And then maybe some ideas that I want to throw in here, perhaps along the way, or just... Um, practical tips on how to gracefully let people go, uh, yeah. specifically people you don't want to work with, um, people who are no longer a fit or who are not sparking joy, <laughs> and then three, right. um, people who have become toxic, and um, maybe even reveal like a quick method that lessens the chances of blowback on the studio or bad word of mouth or, or things things of that nature. So we got a lot to cover here, Nate, and mm. um, maybe let's just start right here at the beginning with that first thing you said that really intrigued me was that a long time ago, Brooklyn music factory kind of came up with this idea of who the ideal client was. Now it's going to be different for each person who's listening. So maybe who the ideal client is for BMF isn't as important as the process that you all went through to discover who that was. So I'd really like to focus in on the process. So could you tell us a little bit about that? How'd you, how'd you come up with this avatar? When you ask about the process, um, it's really important to understand that this isn't something that happens overnight. This is something that you discern over time. And for example, you probably didn't start. Remember, we, we I can't remember what app we did, but we were talking about summer programs. And you were like, you s- talked about the genesis of the book blast. But yes. you started, right? You started with this idea of, well, I need to serve my students over the summer. And then as you got into it, you realized, ooh, I have a real opportunity of what I can promise. So there's, that's part of the process is you know, trial and error, figuring out what you're actually going to deliver with your students. Um, and then you know, coming up with the methodology that best is going to suit what you want to deliver on, of course, that also is trial and error. You're figuring out what curriculums you might want to license, what, curric- what book methods you want to adopt, and then what you want to create on your own. Um, now, I was in preparation for this app. I interviewed Jessica, who's our director of family communications, and I was asking her 
uh, this very question because I read this post. You shared it with me, and I was like, Jess, how would you respond to this? What are your techniques for letting people go? And she she opened with a comment, um, you know, that you shared, which was which was she said, you know, it was really hard in the first few years to not accept everybody who wanted to join the factory, who wanted to join the community, because it takes a while to develop the confidence in what your culture is. It takes a while to develop the confidence to say, this is exactly who we are, this is how we do it, and this is what we'll provide. So I I only share that because I think everybody listening needs to understand that there's a patience that's um, required to become more and more comfortable and confident in communicating that piece. So I don't know if that fully covers process, but maybe that's a good good pause point around that. Uh, then maybe what would be helpful is to go into that second idea of the two situations in which, um, mm. you know, Brooklyn Music Factory has either had to say goodbye to a client or say, mm. I don't think we're a good fit. Yeah, okay, so... Let me. Can I give some examples, and then I also yeah. want to. I want to because I want to ping pong back to you mm. around techniques too, because I think um, it'd be really interesting to hear how you might handle these. Um, here's a couple of examples. Here's a real example: a family absolutely loves a teacher at BMF, mm. right? And they say, "But my student is getting more and more interested in classical music. Can they please just stay with this teacher?" And can we start to study the literature? And for so that's an example of a family that's at BMF that really likes the teacher, the relationship that's been developed with the teacher, but actually is looking for something different in terms of an outcome. Right? Because you're not going to come to BMF and show that you can, um, you know, play a recital of Chopin, Chopin nocturnes or something. That would just never ever happen here, right? So that's an example of someone who's within our community where we're just no longer the right fit. And so that's an example of someone where you have to figure out how to skillfully encourage them to go elsewhere, even though they love this teacher, right? Because the teacher, of course, is a great fit for our culture. They wouldn't be teaching here otherwise. But to to have her to just go off script, as Jessica put it, she says, you cannot adapt and bend. You have to know who you are. You have to know what your mission, purpose, and values are, and you have to stick to them, right? We've done whole mm. episodes on what happens when you go off script. An example of a family from who's uh, requesting to come you know, to, to join, well, you get those inquiries all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so actually, Jessica told me a really fascinating story about a family She's like, I never told you this one, Nate. And she often doesn't tell me about the families that are not, that either she's coaching out or or um, encouraging to go elsewhere when they inquire. But she said there was a family that was at BMF for X number of years and then left. And she said they were, it was not a good culture fit. They needed something else, right? They were never, and in her words, she said they were, um, they really were struggling with the communal piece. You know, build communities literally in our tagline. So if you're not interested in having your child collaborate with other children, then BMF is not a good culture fit. <laughs> if you need that one-to-one attention with one, with a single uh, person recital that celebrates only your child, well, 
there's great opportunities for that in Brooklyn, but we're not the place. So mm. this family left and then a couple of years later came back and said, Would, you know what? Our daughter loves, just really misses BMF. Can she come back? And, and at this point, she wanted to join an advanced band. Mm. The thing is, is that in being an advanced band, you have to be in the private lesson program, et cetera. You have to actually be committed to growing on an instrument. And now you're in a band. And so Jessica just simply said, look, and he said, uh, or apparently this parent was just like, listen, um, we'd love to have them come back. They'll literally do anything. They'll play tambourine in the band if they could just come back. And Jessica was like, obviously not a good culture fit. Right. 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 So those are those examples. Now, how do we skillfully encourage them to go elsewhere? Maybe we go there next. Well, I think that's where in the spirit of some of those episodes you just referenced, that's where I think these specific techniques that one might use mm. to gracefully handle uh, some of these high pressure situations. Mm. I know that for my part, figuring out what those graceful techniques were really helped make my job a lot more satisfying. I, I experienced less anxiety when I was dealing with folks. I had mm. I created a belief within myself that I could handle that. So I went into interactions much more relaxed because I knew mm. I had some phrases at the ready if if something came up. Um, so would that be a good place to go now, Nate? Would it be good would to love kind of, it. okay to go into some because of the specifics? I, and Daniel, I'm gonna be you know this. Like I'm actually conflict averse. So sure. I I don't have the same depth of belief, especially around coaching someone out or saying like, absolutely mm -hmm. not. My depth of belief is in our purpose and our values, et cetera. Sure. But I'm not great at those, that nuanced <laughs> communication technique. So sure. I'm psyched to get some. And I've got a few too that, that Jessica shared that I want to, that I want to share here too, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. Okay, good, good. Well, let's start with the first one. We'll go from easier to hard. Okay. Nice. <laughs> here's, the, here's, the, here's the easiest one. Just people you don't want to work with. So at the consult or at the trial level, mm. you might have someone that they filled out a lead form, you're speaking to them on the phone, or you've spoken to them on the phone and they're actually in for a trial now. And they've kind of, if they're at the trial, they've actually slipped through that first filter. I don't care what the reason is. That right. is far beyond sure. the scope of this episode. All we need to know is that, oh, here's this person. They're not a good culture fit. They won't be a good fit. I don't want to work with them. I think in one of those episodes that we referenced earlier, either the trial, the trial lesson episode specifically, which was about a month ago, mm. I talked about a family who brought in two kids. And in 15 years of teaching piano, I had never met two more poorly behaved children ever. There was no way they were getting in. And I actually even referenced this in that episode, but I think it bears repeating again. The way you deal with this is to not put anyone under pressure on the spot. I never saw it as my job to inform the parent that they had a problem. I didn't want to make anyone quote unquote feel bad by, you know, just saying whatever was on my mind. You know, I might, I might be comfortable in these situations, but I am no Larry David <laughs> from Curb Your Enthusiasm, who just right. is a social assassin, so to speak, just <laughs> says these really nasty things in, in social situations. That's just not me. 
in a normal trial lesson, if I wanted to work with the family, I would just ask them what worked for them. I would show them my schedule. We would pick it together right there. I'd send the follow-up email right there, and then Mm -hmm. they'd be registered. If it was someone that I just didn't think was a good fit, I would basically say, hey, let me follow up with you later. Um, I'll um, get your availability. I'll compare my calendar, and then we can figure out how to make this work. Um, And then they would send their availability later and not have the information on my side of the table. And then I could just send a denial at that point. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily address the situation. And the example you gave earlier of this family that you just didn't feel was a good fit. The, the most accurate way to depict why they weren't getting in would be that I just, you know, we, we essentially, we don't want to work with you. We don't think you, you know, would be a good fit here. Or we don't think you're a good fit for the culture. Or you've told me your goals. I don't think you'd be a good fit. If you say that, you that invites argumentation. And I think right. most people are uncomfortable with that. But even if you are comfortable with that, it still isn't that pleasant to be in an argument with someone when essentially you don't really care what their argument is. You've just already made up your mind. So I just think this is a much easier way to deal with that. Well, and can I add to that? First of all, Jessica, to back to your initial scheduling tactic, Jessica calls this moving them to the bottom of the priority pile, mm. right? And then she mm. also says, basically, I just she says, oftentimes I just don't. I just say, so, I'm so sorry, we don't have anything to, that will fit your availability. Yeah, and she uses it, so so she has a similar tactic. Now, to your last point, I think there's a way to reframe that. Which in in a sort of positive way, which is that when someone comes to BMF and says, you know, this is like for example the um, the student that was already within BMF and wants to study classical, you just like you just flip it into what? How can we be of benefit to them? Hmm. It's rather than do they do we want to work with them? It's what do they actually need? And in the case of that student, it would be totally inappropriate and. Uh, Honestly, yeah. dishonest to keep yeah. that student at BMF because she would always be an afterthought. She would never get nearly the type of classical piano lessons that she could have gotten up at the hill at Brooklyn Conservatory. Yeah. You know, like so. And it would be much more beneficial to this human to say, we would strongly encourage you to go to this other school. By the way, um, dude, I think this, Daniel, has to do with the maturity piece that Jessica was referencing over yeah. time you get so much more comfortable with knowing who you can be of benefit to, who you right. can serve, and who you can't. And going back to your, sorry, one last thing, and then I want to ping it back to you on some additional techniques, but your comment about the um, two children that were really misbehaved, you know, one of the ways to frame it is, hey, you know what? These students need a very particular type of teacher in order to be able to manage them and have them succeed. Right. I'm not that person. Right. You know, and I think that that's okay. Like if I, if I gave you another example for people reach out all the time with um, students that have certain needs or special needs and it's, it's a really delicate subject, of course. Right. Like they, they have different needs and you have to say, listen, um, we may or may not have a teacher who's trained well enough to be able to have them succeed within our curriculum. 
you know, and we're not going to take on your this. We're not going to take on this student just because we want the enrollment if we don't know that we have that skilled, trained teacher that can handle their particular needs. And yeah. so that's just a, I think that's another version of that story. Um, so okay, it is interesting, and I, I want to follow up on that. There are kind of two categories in which I view this. There's the category mm. of you know, oh, they want to study classical, but we're a rock and songwriting school. Oh, we don't see preschoolers, but this kid's three years old. I don't work with adult students. This is an adult contacting me. Those yes. are much easier to deal with. Yes, totally. Um, there's there's no perceived slight or insult that you're putting out to the other person. And in that case, in those cases, I would just send something at the email level and say, hey, sorry, I don't really don't think I can help here's a teacher who I think can. And I kept a list of teachers that worked with certain kinds of students and I would just free yeah, and yeah. distribute their information. It's just being helpful. But on the other hand, the, the discipline thing, um, that, that is one where more, it's more delicate because the parent is kind of seeing their child misbehave. They know their child's misbehaving and then all this. So I, I don't think it's as much about saving face as just what Jessica said. We'll put them at the bottom of the priority pile. And, um, mm -hmm. and that's really the point. The last point I want to make on this before I move to number two, and that is to say that a lot of times the way to, the, the, the way to let these problems solve themselves naturally yeah. <laughs> is to just be bad at your job. In other right. words, a school owner should be aggressively following up with any new lead, like seven to 10 times within a few weeks of them first reaching out or, until you get in touch with them. So a mm -hmm. lot of times what school owners find is that they reach out one or two times and then they come to me and say, Daniel, nobody wants lessons anymore because I reach out to them, but they didn't call me back. I'm like, oh, how many times did you reach out? One time. Oh, why did you only reach out one time? Well, if they don't care enough to, to reach back out to me, then right. I don't want right. to. Okay, well. well that's a different world, issue altogether. That's not how it works. But what is funny is that if you were if you were just to be bad at your job and stop following up with people, most people kind of go away anyway. So if there's someone yeah. who at the phone consult level, you're like, oh, man, they're so not a good fit. Just just start being bad at your job and they'll probably not contact you yeah. again. Yeah, the avoidance so, technique. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. So the first one, again, the list here is how to gracefully let people go. Right. The first one was um, uh, just people that you don't want to work with who are not yet in. What about people who are in? That's number two. People who are mm. no longer fit who are, mm. or who are not sparking joy. So let me give an, a, a very specific example. Okay, sweet. Um, because this isn't about a client that, you know, was really bad or I didn't like the kid or, you know, I was feuding with the parent. <laughs> This is more like, here's a kid that at one point was super energetic, motivated, really excited to be in lessons. And then for whatever reason, they just don't feel that way anymore. Mm -hmm. And then I've got this family over here who they are aggressively following up with me. They're yeah. telling me, hey, we want to get our child in piano lessons. They can't stay away from the piano. Uh they're asking me about it. They like to sing. They like music. They listen to music in their room as opposed to doing other activities that they could be doing. We really want to get them in the lessons. I see that and I'm thinking, oh man, I really want that kid in lessons as well. Right, right, and then here, totally. But on, on my side of the equation, 
oh no, I'm out of room on my schedule. And then I've got like these three students over here that are barely practicing anymore. How do you let those kids go? So mm. that's what this category is about. Or just, you know, well, we'll get to that on number three. So how do you let those people go? Um, a lot of times I did a version of what I was just saying there, like being bad at your job. So when it would come time for re-enrollment, yes. I would actually, um, you know, uh, on one hand, I would, in terms of priority, I would send out waves of invites to get on my schedule. Totally. And you've conveniently left off. And I'll put them in the last wave, basically, where yeah. it's just, it's all that's left. Now, a lot of times prior to that, and this is the thing, in in some of my private coaching and in some of my trainings, I have given really specific scripts for to people on how to save students from quitting. Like a student that you want to work with mm. who who um for who for whatever reason the parent wants to unenroll them or the student's feeling a little dejected or things like that. Like I have I have saved students that have gone on to study with me for years longer that the parent mm. was on the way out the door and I had one phone call with them. And I saved them. And that could be an episode right there, but that's for another that's, time. Yeah. But we're talking about the flip. Right. This is the <laughs> flip side of that. And the thing is, is that I would do, I would flip. I would do the exact opposite. The things that I would say to save the student, I would literally say the exact opposite to a parent who I wanted out. And a lot of times they'd quit within four weeks. And Wait, it wasn't, gonna, yeah, well, give yeah. Us an example. <laughs> it wasn't hateful stuff. It was, it was just, it was just um, questioning, hey, you know, hey, how's Sarah doing? Well, you know, she's at home. She's right. not practicing much and that sort of thing. And for the for the family that I would want to save, I'd start asking a lot of questions about that. And I would diagnose perhaps the issue and then start speaking to the deeper realities of why maybe Sarah's going through a rough patch or whatever. So it was very nuanced. Well, what's the opposite of that for someone who 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 I want out? Oh man, that sounds pretty bad. You probably should quit. You know, that's like that's the short version of it. I wouldn't be that blunt, obviously. Yeah, I would but use language like it. Maybe yeah. it's time to take a break. May exactly. And you know? it, it was so funny because sometimes I could hear parents like almost like wanting not to, like like trying to hold on to it. I'm just like, hey, no, it's totally fine. Take a break. Take a break for the summer. Take a break for just this semester. Reach back out to me in January. Yes. Like that sort of thing. And when you would send a few communications like that, or here's the other one, a big policy. I've said this before on many past episodes, but practice was something I never nagged either students or parents about ever. Mm -hmm. I would start nagging students I wanted out. I would start, I say nagging. I really wasn't nagging, but I would start bringing up practice quite a lot to parents. Hey, how much are they practicing at home? They're not practicing enough at home, mm. like that sort of thing. They would be gone within four to eight weeks. So that's how that's how I that's how I wow, would that's super interesting manage people out with Jessica. When I asked about I asked the same question, I was interviewing Jess in anticipation of this episode. And she said um, what one of her techniques is like, you know, she, you can tell a family is struggling when they start asking about all the policies. Like, well, how come there's only mm. one makeup? Mm. Wait a minute. It's June. And you're billing me the same amount, even though there's only two lessons. And like you're right. re-explaining. There's always pushback. And so it feels sort of similar where you can, where Jessica could be like, these are the policies. We don't bend on them. 
it sounds like maybe this isn't the right fit for you all. There, you, if you want a pay-per-lesson model, there are other opportunities. Running a music school can be a challenge. You can only see so many students per week, and it feels like you're trading time for dollars. Margins are small, and you're always looking for qualified teaching staff. Wouldn't it be great if there was a way to see more students in less time while maintaining high educational standards for your school? Well, now you can with Piano Express from grouplessons.com. Piano Express is a new way to teach group piano, one that seamlessly combines a new innovative group method, technology, and industry-leading teacher training to make it easier and more profitable than ever to start group lessons in your studio. Piano Express allows you to see 12 students per hour per teacher, and over a decade of testing has shown that the gamified curriculum significantly increases student practice times and studio retention. To help you get started, the Piano Express method has a training course for you and your team. It's included when you use the system in your studio. Most schools can get their first class up and running in just a few weeks. So visit grouplessons.com to sign up for a free demo or use our calculator to see how much money your school can save each month by using Piano Express. Want to go to number three? Yeah, I do want to go to number three. Okay. What do we got? So, gracefully letting people go. First category of people was people you don't want to work with. Second category of people are is students or parents that are no longer a good fit or not sparking joy or, or that sort of thing. Third is people or clients who've actually become toxic or a, a subset of that would be students that have become disruptive or how do I put yeah, this? Yeah, like... Their conduct within a, a class environment has been less than ideal, or even uh, rude, or insulting, or wrong towards another student. You know, th- things like this, like a like truly a bad situation. How do you how do you deal with that? And my goal with this one is just to give a quick method that lessens mm. the chance of blowback. As I said at the top of the episode, yeah, we don't want a nasty review on Google. We don't want negative word of mouth getting around. We want to deal with the situation professionally, then we want to escort them out the door. Hopefully, we don't need security to escort them off the premises. So this has happened a few times. I'm probably not going to get into specifics just because I don't know that that's all that important. Um, But I will give generalities. So I'll give two. There was one situation where the student said that something happened in a lesson that didn't, it wasn't like super scandalous. It was nothing like that, but it was just, um, you know, it, it was honestly a lie about a thing that I'd said to the student. It was, it, it isn't the kind of thing that I would say to a student. I know I didn't say it to the student, but the student insisted their parent that they did. And mm. the parent took the side of the student. They just assumed that I was lying. And what's interesting about that. And, and, and just to be even more clear, the student said that I said something to them that was very critical of them. And it's just, it wasn't, it's not in my nature to do that. It, it's not something I ever would right. have done. So I don't know what was going on with that student. It was a somewhat new student and the student wasn't really that well behaved. I found out after they got into the studio. So I think there was just something going on there. Anyway, I simply followed up the parent followed up with me by email and I followed up and said that I would be uncomfortable having the student come back 
given what they said that I was saying and that I had not said it. And that this, that I think really we should just um, kind of part ways and that I would send them a refund for the month that they had been in. And I'd already done a couple of the lessons, but mm-hmm. I just refunded their entire tuition for that month, even though it wasn't owed them. I just wanted a very nice, clean break. I didn't, I didn't want to talk to this parent again ever. Um, and they took me up in the offer. So that was one way. That one, it's a little more cut and dried. Let me give one that's yeah. a little messier. Mm. I had a student that they had a great trial and then they, they did well. Um, they were high energy, but it was nothing that I couldn't handle. Mm-hmm. And then when they actually got into the context of the one hour group, their behavior kind of fell apart. And it was kind of surprising to me because this was an older kid. It was like eight or nine. And then what ended up coming out that the parents didn't tell me throughout the entire process was that this student had like an attention issue. And mm-hmm. what I discovered in that was that they had kind of hidden that because they were concerned that that I wouldn't take the student. Mm. Which, let me tell, so, so there's a little bit of dishonesty on the parents' part in making an assumption and then wanting to kind of pull one over on me. Well, here's the interesting thing. <laughs> I had a student that I started in 2008. I don't feel bad talking about this um, because this parent, well, you'll, you'll, everyone listening will understand when I say this, but I started um, a couple kids off in the same family and one um, had uh, challenges as it came to emotional control and also just their ability to learn. Mm. I worked with that student for seven years, one-on-one. I had no problem working with a student that has challenges, Mm-hmm. But that but that student I never would have put in one of my groups. It wouldn't have been fair to her. Right, right. And this this particular mother, she said, Daniel, I've always told my friends when I recommend you, the thing I love about Daniel is that he treated all three of my girls in a different way because he saw that they all needed something different. And what I right. saw that this particular student needed was just to work with me one-to-one. And even after I stopped teaching one-to-one, I kept this student just because. Just because. Um, yeah. And so it is not as if I wouldn't have taken this student necessarily. It's just that I knew it wasn't a good fit. And so we get a couple weeks into this and this student is disregarding everything I'm saying. It's like laying over the piano bench. I turned around once and this particular student was just laying on the floor, just like staring at the ceiling. (laughs) Just like, (laughs) I am not comfortable with this. Like... I could direct this behavior in the context of a one-to-one lesson. I could 100% engage them, keep their attention. Right. But in the context of a group where the, my entire group method puts, actually does put pressure on the student to take control of their own learning, and I had a way of making that happen, this student clearly isn't up to that challenge. And had the parent been honest with me, I could have told them from the outset that this wasn't going to be a good environment for their child, but they lied to me. So I'm thinking, well, how do I deal with this? And so I thought about just sending a breakup email, kind of like that other student that I said, mm. but I thought, uh, I don't think that's going to go over well because they've already kind of shown their character, revealed their character. Um, and so I, um, I actually had a phone call with them and I explained the behavior and then I, I explained a version of what I just said there. And I said, you know, just at this time right now, if you would have told me about this, I would have said, I don't have any 
um, room on my private on, on my private lesson calendar, which mm. was not a lie. At that time in my career, I was only working with advanced students one to one, so I did have a private lesson calendar. That was not a lie, but I did absolutely did not work with beginners one to one ever. No exceptions for like the last five or six years of my career um, teaching. And so, point being that I just said, you know. Um, I have some teachers I can recommend that I know will be able to work one-on-one with your yeah. child. And here's, you know, here's their information, but I'm going to refund this month to you. And, um, you know, I, I honestly can't remember exactly what I said. I don't think I would have been as blunt to say unenroll you, but would have said, I just think it's going to be best if I kind of give, you know, this, this other uh, teacher's name to you, reach out to them. I know that they work with students of, um, you know, of all, all types, all learning styles, and I just recommend you reach out to them. So it was very clear that, that we were breaking up, so to speak. Um, right. And, so you got a breakup email, yeah. but in this case, it's more it delicate. So you have a breakup yeah. phone call. Yeah. Is there any other version of a, of this technique? Um, there. Let me let me let me say one. Let me give one other example. Okay. Um, I had a family. So, and this goes to actually. The, the fellow who Facebook messaged me and said, Hey, how do you say goodbye to toxic parents? Mm. I had a family that, um, the parent signed up for the final slot of the day. And the first couple of weeks brought the child. The child was a great student, really liked him. Mm. Um, and third or fourth weekend, the lessons, it gets to it gets to be the end of the hour, final thing. I am a very orderly, punctual person. Mm. So if the if the hour ended at seven thirty five, I often had those kids in the car and gone by seven thirty six with and thirty seconds. Like ninety seconds later, everybody's gone from the studio. Right. And my wife is also a very punctual type A person, and she would have she will have made food and timed it so that it was getting done right at 735. And I literally would walk back in the house and we'd watch our favorite show together or whatever show we were watching at the time. And this was our pattern four nights a week. We would have dinner mm. immediately afterward. This went on for years and years with virtually no interruption. Very, very, it wasn't very often I had a, a late student. Anyway, so 735 rolls around. I know I'm being a little long-winded, but I'm just giving some color commentary here. Anyway, okay. <laughs> 735 rolls around. This student, you know, I, I escort all the students out. Not only is the other parent not there, I don't even see them. I don't have a message from them. They showed up 15 minutes late. Mm. This had never happened to me in over a decade of teaching. Mm. <laughs> I was not happy. So right. I, parent came there. He explained, like, I've been to the grocery store, couldn't get out of line, you know, was checking out, blah, blah, blah. Okay, cool. This happened a couple more times over like the next month or two. And mm. every time it was like, Oh, I was at the grocery store. I sent emails. I said, Hey, mm. you know, you need to be here at seven thirty-five. I even charged them more one month, hoping they would quit. They didn't. I put more on the bill just to make up for my time. So I literally charged him my full hourly rate. If I, as if I had five students there for those 15 minutes. Um, mm. that I had to wait because he was showing up consistently like 10 to 15 minutes you were late. like, let's just call it this. Yeah. And yep. I'll bill you for it. Exactly. Then, and I'm not even going to get into it, but 
um, at our year-end recital, right before we went on Christmas break, they showed up late and then actually made a scene at the recital um, while it was going on, while another student was playing. That was like the final straw for me. Okay, and, so and I, 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 um, I did not send them a re-registration form for the next semester. Right, right. And then they emailed me and said, "Hey, you know what? What's our time?" I was, and I just said, "You can't come back." <laughs> I just sent them an email and said, "Look, there's a number of things that have happened over the last four or five months. I really like working with the student." I said the student's name, obviously. Um, I really like working with student. Your, your son, um, yeah. but this is not working out and there have just been too many violations basically and sent that email. Um, so that's another way that I dealt with just a really ugly situation. So at the end of the day, if all we're saying here is, oh yeah, you either need to send an email or a phone call, well, that'd be kind of underwhelming. I wanted to give the context of each situation and the specific verbiage and what mm-hmm. I actually did because I think for anyone who's hearing this, especially if you're more introverted or you are you you know you feel uncomfortable in in confrontational situations i think hearing how i actually talk to people what i actually wrote what i actually said can be helpful i know in the past from other clients i've heard that it's been really really helpful to hear those specificities because then they can begin to imagine what their yeah. version of it would be and then they kind of pick up the mantle and take it back to their studio and feel more confident to deal with these situations in their own business you know i think it's like in closing daniel what i hear you know, in this episode is that there's an element of, um, first of all, like in your stories, you're owning your parameters within which you can work and be a success with the student. And so there's that piece, right? So when we talk about culture fit, I think there's also, there's that personal, yeah, there's the, you're like, you run a tight ship and you expect people to be on time and you, you're honoring that. So you expect that from the parents too. Um, so, and that's actually part of your culture, honestly. So I hear that. I hear understanding your culture of your studio. I hear also understanding what is essential to you to remain energized and joyful. And um, and then the second piece that I hear is like, you know, it's not, you can have the best techniques in the world. The reality is sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's ugly. Sometimes you have to write that last email, which is like, hey, you know why? It's these things were a violation of how we work in my studio. And yeah. so I think I think that actually is like a nice circle around to that opening share that Jessica had, which is like, it takes a while to get confident in who you are and how you operate. And 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 only with that confidence can you actually write that email. Yeah. Can you actually have that conversation? Um, so yeah, I think that's, uh, um, you know, the techniques aren't necessarily sexy, honestly, they're just, they just, they just are, we are just being within the clarity of, of who we are and how we operate. Hey, it's Nate again. You know, every year at Brooklyn Music Factory, we get dozens and dozens of great reviews from our families. And you want to know how? Because we ask them. And they're happy to leave a review because of the positive impact that we've made on them. And so now I have a simple ask for you. 
If this podcast, the 7FMS podcast, was helpful to you, would you mind leaving a review for Daniel and I? And please, share the podcast with another music school owner that you think might benefit. It's one of the best ways that you can support us. We appreciate it.